Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the LTK show on this, the 24th day of the worst month of the year, March, <laughs> 2000 plus 21. I just want to start by saying big shout out to the two or three people who I saw today driving by themselves in their vehicle with a mask on. Safety fucking first. So shout out to you. You look awesome. Keep doing it. And uh, keep watching CNN or whatever it is you kids are watching. It could be trapped in the car. I mean, it could just be <laughs> bottled up in there. You never know. Two schools of thought on that. Are you going to keep yourself from getting it or rather keep what you have inside your mask, thus making it worse? Now, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, and I'm pretty sure I'm not onto anything here. But uh, there you go. Yeah, we could talk about this, but I don't want to get my 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 uh, dauber down. <laughs> I'm in a pretty good mood right now. It's uh, the 24th day of March. Let's talk about the COVID count today. Wisconsin <laughs> had uh, just kidding. Last year at this time, sure. This year, nah. Nobody okay. wants to hear about it anymore. Moving along. Moving along. What do we I'll, got here? So I wanted to talk about some some sports stuff in the local Minnesota scene here. Um, First of all, I want your take, if you know anything about Ben Johnson, the new gopher coach. Did you hear about it? Do you, that's have, a, any, do that's you have any thoughts? My only thought is that I saw it like two days ago uh, when I just was on the internet, like probably scrolling through YouTube for some event sevenfold or some seether. And I noticed that he got hired. And there yep. was a picture of him and Patino, the young one, the one who got fired, sitting together. So they must have known each other. And I know he's a Minnesota guy. Other than that, my thought is, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll educate you. He, he's our age. He's 40, um, 39 or 40. I think he graduated in 99 or 2000. He played at Northwestern right out of the chute for two years. Then he transferred to the Gophers. So he played his last two years with Minnesota. Northwestern in Roseville, Minnesota or Northwestern in Chicago? Northwestern Chicago, so another Big Ten school. Okay. Um, transferred back home, finished his career. Like pretty decent college player, like not awesome. I don't know if he played pro or not. I think he might have got into coaching right out of right out of college. Uh, was an assistant for the Ghosts for like five years, from like thirteen to eighteen ish. Pulled in, like helped pull in, recruited uh, Amir Coffey, Daniel Oturu. Um, couple other solid players. So knows the area, recruited the area, went to Xavier for two years to be an assistant there to kind of learn the ropes there, and then got hired with the U on what, whatever it was, Monday. And the reason I bring it up is because I think it's a great talker because we got this text chain with some of my buddies, my college buddies, and one one of my buddies is like fired up that we didn't go bigger and go like with a better name and a more proven coach, a guy that's got a head coach track record um, and can come in and like turn the program around or whatever. More qualified was his, was his point, was his argument. And I'm like, dude, did we not do that with Tubby Smith? Like, did we not swing for the fences with Tubby? And did we not, you know, go with a hot young guy who had some head coaching experience with Dan Munson building Gonzaga and being like, yeah, this dude's the dude. Nope, he wasn't. Oh, 
Tubby is. He's a name. He's going to compete with the heavyweights in the Big Ten Conference and like go to toe to toe with his own and be like, what? I'm Tubby Smith. Like, it didn't work. Their records were like 45 and 65, both of them in the Big Ten Conference. So, like, what's wrong with this approach? A dude that's young, he can relate to players. He knows the program. He's prideful. It's his dream job. That's what I love about the hire. It's like, this dude is as pumped as anybody that would have gotten this job. Right. You want a guy who's not shooting for the stars, but he wants the Minnesota job. Yeah. So, like, well, dude. So, like, Tom Izzo, right? Yeah. Mid-30s, got hired by Michigan State. He was born and raised in Michigan. Um, he was an assistant there for years. Program got turned over to him, and he took it to another level. Like, he, because he's super prideful in that job and in that state and in that college. Like, it just bothers me that, like, people think, like, they speculate, like, you should have brought somebody else in with more name cred. Right. Like, how can you tell me that, like, that dude is going to be better than this dude? Like, well, how do you I, know that? That's a good point. Like, I agree with you. Here's the other thing I would say. Who's to know that we can pull big names? People see the big names who have come here and not done well. There's probably, and I'm not saying nobody wants this job. It's a Big Ten job. It's probably in the upper half of the Big Ten, I would say, probably somewhere around the middle. It's right in the middle, yeah. Okay. But, I mean, it's definitely a sought-after job in a good conference. Well, we thought it was a good conference until the Big Ten had eight teams out of nine to lose in the first or second round of the tournament. But that's a different right. story. But yeah. I think it's like – I think at times we as Minnesotans become uh, a little bit too arrogant about thinking that we can just go land a big-time name. And it's like, dude, they might not always want to come here. You know, it's not like an, a recruiting hotbed. And Christ, we can't even keep our players here, apparently. Well, yeah, and uh, it just, yeah, man, it, it just bothered me with their take of, like, I know that another person's going to do better than this guy. Well, like, are they going to listen to this podcast? Maybe. Well, fuck you guys, then. <laughs> just kidding. Don't know you. You're cool. Yeah, I don't know, man. I... I you can you can put me down as saying it's a good hire, and I think he's going to do good things with the program. So that's good, man. I he also that's my, his that's name my sounds like take of the day. He sounds like he can play a fucking wicked uh, acoustic guitar. I don't know what it is about his name, but he just sounds like he can smash. Ben it. folds five. Like what do we got? Ben Johnson. <laughs> tell but, me yeah, that no. dude can't finger pick Stairway to Heaven. I'll tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that one. What else do we got sports-wise? So Kirilov sent down. Yeah, I think we talked about Kirilov uh, or just the – you actually told me. Why don't you talk about what generally happens with rookies uh, and what they do by sending them down? Yeah, so in our last podcast I said that uh, service time plays – so if you sit the first 15 or 20 days of like your rookie year – and you, that's not technically a full year of service time. So you get one more bonus year of service time at the end of your rookie contract. So the team gets one more year of control, basically, for sitting at 15 or 20 days, whatever the number is. Yep. So today we found that Kirilov did get sent down like yeah, we he knew did he get, would. Yep. Right. Well, we did, but it helps that he was hitting 129. Well, that's it. That's it. Let's talk about that. So here's what's funny about that. We knew this was going to happen almost assuredly. Uh, yeah, I would, I would have bet 
Yeah, 80% chance. We knew it was going to happen, but here's a couple funny things. He made it so easy for the Twins front office to do that and not get looked at as, uh, as though they're not trying to win now. I think it took him like eight spring training games to get a batting average. The dude had four hits and 31 at bats. And don't but here's what sucks about that too. He made it easy for them to send him back. He's still a really good hitter. And effectively what he did was he had two bad weeks of baseball at a bad time. That's just how that works. A lot of these pros have two bad weeks, unless you're Nelly Cruz. But it's funny because it's such a microcosm. You know. Well, so and that's my whole thing. Like one of my buddies texts me Solom. He texts well, he texts the group saying that you know, our, it looks like our top prospects are really paying off. Kirilov's hitting 129, and he gets sent down to the minors. And it's like, okay. Yeah, that's First not First of all, a... it's, it's, it's spring training. Right. Okay. So some guys are hot in spring. Some guys are not. Some guys are working. On, actually, everybody's working on something, trying to find their timing, maybe tweaking something, working on their pro, whatever it is. Um, it just... It doesn't make sense because it's such a small sample size. It's three weeks in March of baseball that doesn't count. And, you know, you can't jump to a conclusion saying that your prospect ain't going to work out because he's hitting 129 in a three-week span in March. That was going to happen. And and last year I bagged on Buxton after, like, his first X amount of games because he didn't do hot at the beginning of the year. And it's as a baseball fan and somebody who watches baseball, there's one thing you need to know. And that's that you need a big sample size for anything, uh, especially a rookie in spring training, playing day games, getting to at bats. You just, it's not, it's not indicative of who he is as a player. The guy's going to rake. He was going to get sent down anyway. He just made it easy on them, on them to do that. But what would I rather do than watch spring training baseball? Just about anything. Walk six miles. Eat a booger. That works too. Um, just to wrap that one up, what the schmecks was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, dude, yeah. It's just, so like Coast, he was on the podcast. He hit 430 that one year in spring training. Big league spring training. Gets cut to the minors, and he hits like 120 in the first month. Right. So, like, baseball and hitting especially is very cyclical. Unless if you're Mike Trout or Tony Gwynn, you know, like it's just, yeah, we, we don't got to jump to conclusions here. It just, it kills me. Oh. Actually, I'm more worried about Sano. Sano's at like 94. You know what? What's interesting about him is, I, so one thing that I've always struggled with with him is that I feel like the natural talent's there, but, and I may not be right, but just from the outside looking in, it seems like he's a little bit. Uh, unwilling to maybe put in the work or really focus, and I know he works with Nelson Cruz. And he's super with lax, just as a dude. He is. The one thing lax. I don't like, I, I don't like this, and it's because I didn't like it for me. So you know, I, obviously, I had an illustrious, illustrious baseball career. Uh, she, I played well into my early twenties. Uh, <laughs> but one thing I noticed when I played at a, you know, at a uh, very low level compared to Sano is that when I wore sunglasses. I wasn't able to see as well. And I, I felt like it maybe messed a little bit with my hand-eye coordination. And I, Depth I, perception for me. Like for I don't me even too. like I don't even like golfing with them on. I'm with you hundred percent. So I, I notice that and then I see Sano's always got these super cool fucking nineteen eighty six wraparound shades that look sweet. And it's like, dude, when you're those are awesome if you're Nelson Cruz and you're batting like three sixty one. But when you're batting 146, maybe fucking stop worrying about being so cool. Or literally 0.094. 
whatever it 94. is. He's uh yeah, we'll see what happens, but you know, if he if he gets hot too, he can carry a club. So how about this? Who are you more worried about, Sano or Kirilov? Our pitching staff. <laughs> I don't fucking see. Here's the thing. I don't care about see. I'm not worried about Kirilov at all. At this point, Sano just maybe is going to be what he Kirilov is. Kirilov is a consistent dude and I think he's proven it in the minors. He's, he's, he's going to do dude. the same thing in the big leagues. I ain't worried about him. He's Kirilov's a player. Well, here's what I'm really worried about. I'm worried about falling down and touching myself again over the twins because they won 101 baseball games and then getting our fucking dick stepped on in the playoffs. And dude, I, last year I felt physically sick to my stomach. They were on during a work day and you and I talked about this. I watched the Yankees beat the fucking life out of us. You could tell by the third inning it was over. Uh-huh. I, I was nauseating. You talking last year? Yeah. Yeah, the Astros, you mean. The Astros, I'm sorry. And yeah. the worst part about it is we we got the Astros as a draw. And we're like, yes. Yes, because they Here's didn't our have wins. a good record. We're going to get through one. And they didn't Finally cheat. Finally going to. They couldn't cheat because the scandal was out. So the previous year, the Astros had Kept the ca- garbage cans out of the yeah, dugout. no garbage cans. You got Altuve batting fucking. He didn't get a batting average. Altuve oh was terrible. Oh, my gosh. And we still freaking lost. Let's talk about that. I hate him more than any baseball player. Who? Altuve. Really? Dude, he cheated. Because of that? Yeah, because like his numbers were directly affected by that. And here's the thing. Whether or not he batted 360 and hit all those bombs and was an MVP because he cheated, he knows that. But the reality is, is last year when we know for a fact he wasn't cheating, he sucked. I don't know that those two are fucking mutually exclusive. He might have just had a down year. But he's going to wear that forever. And he should because cheaters, it's the worst thing you can do, dude. Cheating and stealing. Okay, so what do you think about like scuffing the ball? I'm gonna steal this from Tom, and he was talking about earlier today. Like, I'm fine with that. Cheating is cheating. That's different to me. How is it different? For because you? because I think that scuffing the ball, foreign substance, whatever. It's for whatever reason. It's like kind of allowed in baseball, and people know that that's what they do. Yeah. But like Pineda did it, and he's not like tarnished because he. Like he did it when he was with the Yankees. Well, and he's and he got popped for PEDs, and he's still good. So yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting concept. I didn't like think it's about. cheating. You know, it's you're breaking rules. Yeah, there you go. I you know the one thing that are you a, are you, are you a, a if you're not cheating you're not trying guy or you're like no you shouldn't cheat. I think you should try to bend rules, and what I mean by that is like you know like when you slide back into a base. Or like if if I'm if I'm playing third base and a guy's coming around third, you're not supposed to technically be able to block third base. Uh-huh. But I'm gonna I'm gonna slam a half a knee down in front of it to try to get away with it, but also to impede like things like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna give her hell. And make sure the ump's not looking type of thing. Yeah, like I'm gonna do that. But I think I think that anything anything you do to cheat, if you can get caught and thrown out of the game, it's fine. You're just taking a risk. But I think cheating like. What dude? What the Astros were doing was systemic. That wasn't like Joe Necro filing a fucking baseball. That was like video being taken of the opposing catcher and being cast into the dugout. But what if? Well, yeah. Well, what if everybody was doing that? Like, what if all the pitchers on one staff are doctoring the ball and doing what they need to do to get net? Like, that's a pretty big advantage. You put me on the spot. It's interesting, but I think that the refs can catch that. Or the umps, as it were, can catch that. It's interesting. I that's a really good point. Here's what I'll say about baseball in general. 
something that really started to bother me about baseball probably through the 2000s and up to and including about the last five years now it started to go away is the unwritten rules in baseball and what i mean by that is like umpires well this guy's brand is to give that outer half if you're a pitcher who can establish that zone he'll give you six inches off the plate so umpires effectively tried to play a role by like making themselves, oh, this is my brand. It's like, dude, no, call fucking strikes. I don't care if Greg Maddox is pitching or Greg Anderson's pitching. If it's across the plate, it's a strike. If it's not, it's a ball. And then guys on double play turns would catch the ball. They wouldn't be within three feet of the base. They'd skip behind it. The area rule. like And the the ump's like, well, he could have. It's like, dude, I don't stop it. It's, Do you remember the transfer rule back in like the early 2000s? Yeah, where they catch on the outside of the glove and pop. Well, dude, they literally like it would just hit their glove. It would touch their glove for about 0.1 second. Yep. And they'd count it as a catch. Yep. Like it was just dumb. Like trying to be as fast as possible, getting rid of it. As long as it hit your glove, basically, right. yeah, it's a catch. It's good. It's like no, that it ain't got good. out of it got out of control for sure, and I think baseball is honing it back in. What I really have found is like a lot of these baseball refs, probably or baseball umps, probably more than any other sport, are super super arrogant, and they all have they all want to be part of the game. Uh, I can I can name a couple. Yes, but now it's definitely trending because I think they're like, okay, this thing's getting electronic. Yes, and, and we th- and we have to be as fair as possible in order to stay employed. Well, you nailed it. So that's I got to be I was as going good. That's where I was going possible. with it. Well, they actually analyze them now after the game. Right. They t- they grade. And they have you. to be like a ninety six or seven like, percent. If you're not accuracy. graded well, you don't have a job, which is how it should be, because that's what happens if you can't hit and you're a baseball player, you're gone. Or then that these umps were held to no standards. Speaking of that, I just read an article today, which is crazy because I never read anything. There's an a uh, ref. Dude, it's funny. I was going to bring this. It's funny. Go ahead. This have was at, like my well, this you. was my third sports topic of the day. It was the ref that. All right, so he called a penalty on Detroit because he had called a penalty on Nashville in the first period. He's like, all right, tripping on Nashville in the first, so it's one penalty for Nashville. He's like, hey, I got to even this thing up, so I called a penalty on Detroit in the second period. And he got busted for saying, like, on a hot mic, it was, what he say? He's like, you know, I know it was close, but I had to call, I had to call a flipping penalty on on Detroit here. I, I thought I thought he said, and I could be wrong. I thought he said, "I want." Well, let me get, use the Google machine, but I think he said, "I want to get Nashville a penalty." There you go. That's so, what it was. But I just read it, and I'm just like, you know what? That either way, it was to even it up. Yeah. And it was the old marble theory where you got three marbles in both pockets, right? Right. You call a penalty on this side, marble goes in the other pocket. You call another one, you put the marble in it. Now you got five and one, and it's like, I got to even these out, so I got to put a marble back in the other pocket. Yeah. You feel I, me? Yeah, that kind of thing. And and let's just, we, we'll say this too. We have a, a good friend who's a ref. He, he's a fantastic, he's a linesman. Fantastic. He's in the WCHA, the NCHA. He does a lot of high-level uh, hockey games. In fact, I think he's done the national championship. But he's he's actually he's very good and i don't think he's like well, that. he's about as fair as they come like as to my knowledge like, he is and we've know? watched him too i mean the guy's good the guy's legit good so i don't he think... calls rules for being rules yes like 
that's how it is, and like that's yep. how it should be, and it doesn't matter if it's this team or that team, and which that's what a referee should so be. It's not but all. Let's refs. be honest; they aren't. No, not all. Like, let's say you're, let's say you're an NHL ref, and you know that you know John Williams, the bench boss for the Flyers, is an asshole, and yes. Rick Williams over here, good dude, right? Or he, we're like, it's, human it's nature is like, you know what? I don't like this guy. I think I might. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody does it, but there's dudes that do. Like, there's an influence yeah, I mean, on that. A lot of the – I mean, so switch gears a little bit, but take NFL referees. Uh, and I don't want this to come off wrong, but, like, a lot of the NFL referees are older. They're, they've come from backgrounds wherein they were successful and probably ran with hoity-toity crowds. Like, they were, pro, like, high-profile lawyers or whatever. So they all came from money. So, and, and I'm not saying that people who have money are necessarily arrogant, but like when you run with that kind of crowd, you have a little bit more of the power trip. Power. I, like, I'm a big deal. I'm going to put my stamp on the game. And I think that you see that probably more in football, but I'm sure it exists at every level. But I will say this Bradshaw and his group of buddies, uh, who we talked to, those dudes, like, they're pretty legit, and they also have some fantastic stories. But I would say that that guy, that ref who did that, is probably more the exception than the rule. But the fact that that exists at all is an issue. It 100% exists, and it is 100% an issue. Um, it's not it's not every ref, but absolutely there's certain refs that do that. And I think that that's just hockey in general, man. Like, at every level I played, like, most refs, like, most games – if you look, I'm sure if we were to look at a sample size of 20 NHL games, it's going to be relatively even with with penalty calls. Um, and I ain't saying it's it, – yeah, it, it just – I don't know what the issue is with hockey, like how you can fix that. But – because penalties are like judgmental, right? So, I mean, how do you – how do you – Yeah, I think with hockey especially – How I do mean, you score that? Right. It's game know? to game. It's ref to ref. And also, I've, I've heard sentiment from even announcers talk about, well, this game's been this kind of style. It's been real, t- like, you know, push-pull. Been, there, there's been a lot yeah, of stick work. It's been and clean it or it's been physical yeah. or – yeah. So, then there's there's that whole angle too. It's an interesting concept. I mean, I, I think that – refs are responsible for calling penalties number one keeping players safe number two keeping the game as fair as possible within the the parameters so freedom within the framework but number three like they want to keep the game even which isn't not really their responsibility but it it's like they feel it is it's a deep topic man because i'm thinking about like boxing now and how many fights have been swayed we should get bradshaw on we should. Oh, that's get... an awesome subject. So MMA. So first of all, let's get Nick Bradshaw and he'd come on and he could give us crazy insight and yeah, and UFC us good too, man. It's like you, you feel like somebody's won a fight and then all of a sudden it comes yes. down to like like Sugar Ray Leonard against I think it was Marvin Hagler. Like a lot of people had Hagler winning the fight, yeah. but Sugar Ray's strategy was in the last thirty seconds was to like barrage right. and like yeah, be so active. The rap, yep. So the so the judges are like, whoa. Sugar Ray did really well the last 30 seconds. My brain's going to give him that round. Yeah, the MM, you know? MMA, dude, it's crazy because there's only three rounds. So unless there's a 10-8 round, you, you just have to win two rounds. I mean, it's cut and dry, right? It's pretty easy. What I mean by that is there's a 10-point must-scoring system. I know you know this, but in case a listener doesn't. So each round, one person gets 10 points. 
the other person is awarded nine or eight. Nine points is you just lost. It could be barely. It could be by a lot. Eight points means you almost died. Or you got your ass kicked so bad that it was almost stopped by the referee. Uh, you just got the shit kicked out of you. Yeah. So long story longer, you'll watch a lot of these these fights and like even even the announcers will be like, I don't know what the what the uh, judges were looking at. But to be fair to the judges, they're not sitting there listening to people who are speaking on TV. So our brains, are, like if Joe Rogan's saying this guy's winning, eventually my brain's going to be like, well, that dude knows MMA. That guy's winning. Well, the, the judges aren't listening to anybody and they may see things differently. It's just, it's such a crazy deal. Yeah, it's, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what the solution is. Because I'm thinking on the fly here. Well, they but. talked about live judging in MMA. So, like, you know after each round where you're at. But the problem with that or the people... When you say live judging, what do you mean by that? So, after each round, each judge puts up the score so that you know going in... So, say after the first round, you know going into the second, okay, I'm down one round to zero. Okay. But the issue with that, and Dana White brought this up, Dana White, who's obviously the president of the UFC, he said the problem with that is if a guy's up two rounds to zero and he knows it, he's going to run away the whole the whole third round because he doesn't have to win that round. So really what it can oh, do is yeah. it can create an it can anti- take away the action. A hundred percent. It can do that. Like now there are fight bonuses and other things that would want make somebody want to perform well, yeah. but that, that would be the one concern. So you're going to lose entertainment value. That's what from, Dana, from White Dana White's perspective, yeah. In a 10-round fight, it might be a little bit different. But a three-round fight, it's like that third round could get pissed away oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's Especially in baseball, it's trending towards machines and like, right. you know, whatever. It's got to be automated strike zone and all that stuff. And obviously, instant replay is becoming a big part of it. I just wonder, like, in hockey, how much control do you have? And I wonder in like, I don't know, 15, 20 years, like where's hockey going to be? Where's baseball going to be? Where's I could see baseball. Baseball would go automated first. And I think the reason why is because pretty much everything can be done. Not everything, but most of it can be done uh, digitally. And the other thing is, is baseball umps fuck up more than any other ump. Like if you look at in hockey, dude, the linesman. I think you told me this one time. It might have been. It doesn't matter who it was, but like, dude, they're almost always right. Yeah, they're good. They're it's, really good. It's it's crazy, and I think the refs, like in hockey, do a pretty good job. In baseball, dude, there's some royal fuck ups. So I yeah I I'm a fan of refs and umpires like remaining in the game because I think that. You know, just like I coach, so I know that as a coach, I'm going to make mistakes throughout the game. I'm going to maybe sub in the wrong guy. I'm going to start the wrong pitcher or whatever for that day. I know that umpires are going to make mistakes. And I I understand that going into a game. I know this dude behind the plate is probably going to miss a half a dozen pitches. And I know that the dude out on the field is probably going to miss one or two calls. Like, it's just going to happen. And if you embrace it with that mindset, then I think that, it makes the game a lot easier. But if you're on the flip side of that, which a lot of parents are and like a lot of other coaches are too, especially if they have a son who's like in the game, which there's a lot of parent coaches, 
they're so much more emotional and it's like that's when the games tend to get out of control and but i i don't know i I like the i like the human element to it you just it's just yeah it's hard on the obvious ones like the ones where i don't know if you remember the the Twins Yankees back in like 06 or so. Maurer hit a double down the line, I think. It yeah. Was maybe Koski. And it was three, three feet, feet. It was three feet fair. And they had a six man crew. I know. The there guy were was two like. Two outfield umps. We're like, the dude's literally his only call that whole game was that play. Right. And it was 15 feet in front of him. He had the best view in the house for it. And he freaking missed it. Yep. I have no idea how he missed it. I bet you every other ump had it the other way. But yet. And that cost us. Like, it cost us, I think, yeah. maybe a run at the time, which, and the momentum, and then he ended up getting out. And I was at that game. It was just downhill from or there. No, I was like, not at that game. I was at a different game in that series. I think that was an away game. I think that was in New York. So, in those instances, like, you need replay. Yes. I, I guess so I, I I'm like a the- favor. I'm in favor of the challenge system. I like the challenge system. Because it's like, hey, dude, I know you missed that, and we want to get this right, because we don't want the game to end like that, or for that play to dictate the game. So I think that that's key. I just don't know how that would work in like the NHL with a penalty. Well, that you can never do penalties in the NHL because you brought it up earlier. That's why you can't take. But also, I don't think there's an issue with NHL referees like missing the, the calls that could be done digitally, the offsides, the uh, icings, the high sticks. Like They get those right. They just do. With baseball, I guess really I'm with you now that I think about it. I like the the human element, but I wish the, and and we walk a we walk a slippery slope of starting to institute new rules. But it's like the strike zone should be digital, in my opinion. I like I like ref or umps for everything else on the bases and everything else uh, for calling blocks for plays at the bases. But dude, the 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 strike zone it's actually gotten a little better. But, dude, how many times do you see a dude get a shitty second strike called on him and then swing at a shitty third pitch because he thinks the guy's going to call a strike on him? And then he, he looks back to, yeah. and he wants to kill the ump. It's <laughs> it's the worst, dude. And that that should not exist. Like, that shouldn't ever have to enter a batter's mind. Like, if he gets a yeah. pitch, if, if he thought it was low and outside and the digital thinks has it in, he's like, okay, guess what? I got better as a hitter because I know that's a strike, and now I know I need to protect that. Not like, well, I need to protect it because this ump's an asshole. And he, now I looked at him, so he's going to give even worse shitty calls. You get all in your own head. Well, then you do the challenge system similar to well, that, tennis. Well, that's where I was going with similar it. Similar to tennis. like You get three hey, a that, game. Right, exactly. I want that's, three strikes. That's challenge. where I was going. And then I was like, that's a slippery slope. So I was thinking on the fly like you. That would you. make it fun. That'd be cool. It would. I just, I think one of the biggest issues right now with baseball and losing viewership is that the games are long and a lot of people view it. Like if you don't like the nuances of the baseball games, like we do. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's fair if you don't, but it's, it's a tough game to watch because there's so many long periods of inaction and like adding stuff like this, they have conversations every year with the players board and with everyone else. Like, how do we make these games faster? Like, we don't need Chuck Knobloch redoing his batting gloves 40 fucking times. Well, I think that's something that they'd steer away from because that's going to inevitably, both teams are going to use however many they have, right? Because it's a use it or lose it type deal. Well, how many, how long does that add? It adds at least another 10 minutes to the game. Yeah. 
What are you? What do you hate more? Like a slow at bat, a slow hitter, or like a slow pitcher? So slow play, slow pitcher, and it's not even close. So a slow pitcher versus a slow hitter. You're saying? Yeah, because a fucking slow hitter is one hitter. A slow pitcher is seven fucking innings if they're good. How about slow pitcher versus like a missed call against your team? You know what I'm saying? No. So like, would you rather have the game be sped up? Or would you rather have? I see what you're saying. Umpires get the calls right. So let me preface by saying this: I personally would like that rule, the challenge rule. What I'm saying is, I don't think Major League Baseball as a whole has the appetite to implement any rule that may, in fact, extend the game's length. I like it. What I'm saying is, the reason why that's probably not something they'll do is because there's already become issues with game length, and baseball is hemorrhaging viewership. They're not doing as well. And for some reason, it's all going to the NBA, which I can't figure out because guess what? There's fucking two teams every year that can win it. I'll let you in on a little secret. There's two teams that can win it. And if one of their two teams' best players tears his fucking ACL, well, then there's one team that can win it. There you go. It's over. I think the NBA does a good job with its marketing. Plus, it's it has its skilled players, and it, it, it does a good job of, okay, these are our stars and you know we're going to showcase them. And there's just more action, honestly. It's... It's a more exciting brand to market than baseball. It is, but if you watch it for pure sport, and what I mean by pure sport is like, hey, can any team who gets to the playoffs win? The answer is fucking no. Not in the NBA. It's no. But I don't think fans of basketball necessarily care about that. You and I know that. You and I know that. I, I don't know what the teams are this year, but we'll call it the Lakers uh houston i don't even know but there's yeah there's four or five teams that can win it right and then outside of that everybody else is in the second and third tier i think four or five's going heavy i think it, there's three right i mean i well, whatever it doesn't matter but yeah your point's well received and i guess we shouldn't say people who like basketball don't maybe they just don't feel the same way about it but like i've said before a lot of people have opinions i've got the correct answer so, yeah, I mean, baseball, I think, is at a point where they it. need to make some tweaks in order to peak fan interest, whether it's a seven-inning game, which I thought was cool. I mean, it's a fast-paced game. You're not, you're not investing three hours, three and a half hours of your time, which is a long time. NBA basketball is two, two and a half, which is a pretty good sweet spot for you as a, as a viewer, right? It's like, okay. Have they have they looked at seven inning games? It's interesting because now pitchers go five innings, so it's really like a starting pitcher goes five. You you bring in your setup guy and your closer. I think with you know, have and, you heard and, like is that a thing? Ah, uh, I think there's been like little bit of talk, but they're already back to nine this year. Like they're they're back to the way it was. So I don't know. I just like I'm not a fan of slow play. Like that that kills me more than. You know the pit, the slow pitcher, the slow hitter. That kills me more than just about anything in the game because I like you don't have to do that, man. You, you, whatever your routine is, you can adjust it and make it your new routine, and then that's what you're used to, and then you're going to be locked in. Yeah, you I don't feel have like to be a, Nomar. It's an arrogant thing where it's gloves. like, a, "Hey, look at me! I'm going to take your time right, right. now." Right. This is everyone's my show looking time. at me. It's like, dude, fucking stop it. And that's how I feel about Jake Cave. So I hope he fucking breaks his knee. Just kidding. I like you, Jake. So on the PGA Tour, this dude won, uh, I think his name is Matt Jones or something. But this guy, like, really fast player. 
right? So he gets up to the ball, and, like, you think he's going to do, like, a practice swing and, like, do a, a normal pro routine and, like, whatever, take your 30, 40 seconds pre-shot. He steps up to it, and, like, you look like he's going to do a practice swing, and then it'll send, wham, it's gone. It's just like, whoa, this dude's fast. He won this weekend. But then there's dudes that are flip side of that, where it's like, oh, am I on this tree? Like, oh, yep, there's a branch up here. I got to clear that. And then, oh, there's water on the left. And then there's a bunker on the right. Let, let me shut my eyes, hey, visualize my shot. Hey, caddy, let me, yeah, Jason Day, like, visualize for five seconds. Okay, step up. And then I'm going to take three waggles. And then I'm going to, like, look up and then look down and look up and look down. And then it's like, dude, hit the ball. Let's yeah. go. Here's what's like, interesting about that, though. A lot of the, so. I was talking with George about this, one of our friends who golfs, and he's a good golfer. And yeah. I've been told, or he's been, he told me he's on the he's on the slower side of like overall, like he's not fast by any means. And he said, if anything, he's probably on the slower side. But it's funny because the people who give him shit. So first of all, let me preface it: our friend George is like a scratch golfer. He's, yep, a, he's a good player. He's a very good player, good stick, really just good player. A solid yep. player. So the people who give him shit a lot of times who golf fast shoot 85s. So while George is taking a long time over the ball, it's 15 less times he's searching for his ball out in the rough or waiting for 15 extra <laughs> shots. So it's yeah. funny because like he may take longer on each shot, but I guarantee you this, his round went quicker than somebody who had 85 shots and was fucking shanking him off oak trees and in the sand traps and the this and the that. Yes, I agree with that, and I'm with you on that. I want to eliminate the extremes. I want to eliminate the dudes like J.B. Holmes who were taking, and Bryson DeChambeau is actually really slow too. Like when they're looking over a putt, it takes them a minute to like mark the ball, line it up, look at it from this angle, look at it from this angle, boom, 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 and then like that's too much for me because you can. I feel like you can be as good. You also have the attention span of a fucking goldfish. <laughs> like I'm actually, I'm actually a little bit on the slow side. I would say too. Like if you were to ask ten of my golfing buddies, I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably, I probably shade on the slow side. Yeah. That doesn't really surprise me. You're, you're like a in life, you're methodical. Well, that's the other thing. Like you should golf the way that your personality is. Right. Right. So. But I'm just saying, like, dude, get rid of, like, you know. The, the minute Mike, and a half. Yeah, and the Mike Pelfries of the world. So the how do you, the okay. That so if you. 40 seconds in between each pitch. And if you like, want to get rid of that. Get on the mound. How do you get rid of it? the ball. How do you. So if you're going to say get rid of it. Like, so let's start with golf. And then let's talk about baseball. How do you get rid of it? Do you implement a, a time frame? Like, well, I think you have to implement a clock then. If that's how. If, if you're looking to get rid of it. But then who. Who runs the clock? There'd have to be a dude on each hole at the green, or like would there oh, have you're to be somebody about golf for for golf first? If there's if there's a clock, is there somebody at each hole? Yeah. So like, let's say when you step up to your ball, when you get to your ball, let's just say from that point on, you have 45 seconds to hit the ball. Right. So but what I'm saying, I get it. Caddy, I get it. But who polices it? Like, is there a dude in each hole who's who walks with the? the yeah, group? that would be tough because there's a lot of individual golfers. Well, maybe, eh, maybe you go by hole. That's what I mean. A guy on each hole who walks and right, make sure that this group gets it under. Okay, so that one's a work in progress. Minutes. Let's go to baseball. Time clock. Yes. Now, pitch clock. Should there be like a time bank 
what I mean by that is like if something happens like you fucking stub your toe and you got to dick around, can you hit a time bank and be like, okay, I get four minutes of extra time or if like somebody comes to the mound, like you'd have to build in, you know what I mean? Like what, when these rules, they sound easy for dudes like us, some swinging dick sitting here watching, but then it's like, what about all the nuances? Like, you know. Yeah. So you're saying like catcher gets hurt on a foul tip. Hey, yeah. he's going to need the up takes one up takes one right in the fucking seeds. Yeah. And something in baseball that if people who are listening don't know is oftentimes a catcher, out of respect for the umpire, is going to run out and talk. He's going to go talk to the pitcher. Give the ump five. Give the ump a minute to make sure that you know he's getting getting ready. Like then you'd have to start. You'd be like, well, if if you're starting to say it's 45 seconds, what if a what if uh somebody comes out to talk to the pitcher? What you know? What I mean, there's a lot of nuances you'd have to work through. Somebody smarter than me. Somebody smarter than me too. I'm just all I'm but saying is, it's just that's like my biggest pet peeve, Mike Pelfrey, man. That's like, but that's we my can't guy. bitch. We can't bitch about stuff unless we come up with solutions. All right, fine. I'll have to think about it. <laughs> I'm on the spot here. I ain't smart enough to come up with it that fast. As right. I said, I'm I, I, I'm a slower I'm a slower guy. <laughs> I need time to process here. Oh goodness gracious! I think. I thought the wild was on and now I'm watching a fucking car auction. Is it the wild wild was on or were wild wild are on were, you know, <laughs> like, what's funny? I thought, I thought the twins was on, but <laughs> you know, what's funny is like, I've heard like when I've read articles, which is rare, uh, I've seen sports team referred to as rather, rather than them. It. So like, like the wild had a good game. They didn't say they played well. They said it played well, like the team. So there's some gra- grammatical connotations there. Is that because they're the wild and they're like, uh, no, it's not because it's not yeah. a, pl- it's not because it's not a plural thing. It's because the teams and it, them is a makeup of the team. Now let's just, let's be very You're clear. You're the grammatical guy. No, I'm let's not. be very clear. I fucked up. I don't know before, what an adverb is, but let's actually. go back. I'm not backing up for my fuck up. I fucked up. The wild was on. That's a fuck up. Yes. So that. So I'm not. I'm not. Uh, com- the wild was. On. That was just. That was just stupid. I must have some <laughs> relatives from Kentucky. Actually, we have listeners in Kentucky, so no offense. No offense. Anyway. We do, huh? Yeah, we pinged a couple. We actually had somebody last week from uh, Germany too. Weird. Yeah, I, I got a couple buddies out there in Germany. I was probably one of them. German, couple Denmark, I don't know, but you know we're catching steam, getting bigger, getting bigger. Eh? Yeah, yeah. You got anything else? How are we doing? I mean, we smashed it. It's forty-three minutes, thirty-five seconds of nothing but just greatness. I think this uh, March is almost over. By the time we knock another one of these out, we're going to be into April. Let's do some shout-outs. How's your bracket, by the way? Speaking of March. Oh, I didn't do anybody's. One. Bra- oh, okay, good because it sucks this year. I think Trent told me he did well because he did not pick any Big Ten teams to do well. Well, then he's doing really well, aside from Michigan. But right, but Michigan lost its best player prior to the tournament, which I didn't know about. Who is their best player? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I don't. Who is it? See, I just did it. Who's their best player? It's it should much. be who's its best player. I'm telling you. Shoutouts. Brad, Brad Yemvik, buddy of mine. So Boone 
called me and left a message. He said he's got a bone to pick with us because he said like I was getting called out instead of shout out. He was getting called out. Instead yeah, because you so told gotta... him he hasn't listened in a while. Oh, there you go. That's I, hey, Boone. All... Boone, no bone to pick with me, dude. I'm always on your side. <laughs> Take it up with Kangas. Uh, uh, Boone, we appreciate you. And, hey, uh, just throwing it out there. Feel free to invite us back for uh, some lake time. Yeah, summer's getting close. If I look at the old watcher, I mean. Booner lives up in lake country out there uh, near Detroit Lakes. And I'll tell you this. there Every direction you can throw a rock, you can hit a sweet lake. We, yeah. we were on a sandbar last year. So many lakes up. Plus, I've lost a little weight, so I'm looking forward to hauling out the much uh, smaller gut. Yeah, you, you can rock a uh, – you can go sleeveless this year instead of having to wear the sleeve. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably – let's be honest. I'm very concerned about uh, skin cancer, so I'll probably keep your shirt on. But anyway, so Boone, shout out, brother. Brad Yamvik, Brent Steffensmeyer, Katie Eckert. Brian I'm trying Kirsch. to think if there's any any new ones. Am I talking here? Hand, but, Am yeah, I talking okay. here? Well, Mark Jansen, lay off the fucking coffee, will you? Mark Jansen, uh, that's what I got for now, and I'm not trying to purposely leave anybody out. Go ahead now, Luther. Jesus. Yeah, it's, I mean, sta- my standards. It's my standards. Uh, Dizzle, uh, he said he's got some catching up to do, so. Hopefully he listens to this one soon. But yeah, appreciate y'all. Appreciate, appreciate you. y'all. And if you get this far, we really appreciate you. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, hey. we're going we're gonna to catch you again next week. We're going to have some good topics to talk about. Appreciate you as always. Chia, chia.